Welcome to um, uh, episode 353 of our Earth Year Sonic Talk uh, episodes. Um, that sentence didn't end up where I thought it was going to be. But anyway, welcome. Um, for those of you who are, there seems to be a continually, um, it's a sort of ongoing comments in YouTube, if you're watching this via YouTube, of what the initial um, opening sting is, because some people say it sounds like Sonic Cake or whatever. It's actually sonicstate.com, made by uh, the very um, brilliant uh, Keith... Ken Spong, who has basically he made this the uh, that he won the the last competition that we did, and it's uh, I think it's like Symphonic Voices, or I forget the name of it is, but it's where you can type Vox Talk, Vogue Talk into it, and he did that and did a little orchestral thing for us. So thank you very much. Anyway, welcome everybody. Um, I want to say thank you to our sponsors, Isotope. Uh, more from them later, but, but do remember go and check out their demos. They've got a lot, all their stuff. Pretty much, you can get a ten day download, uh, fully functional demo. Um, and it's well worth it. We'll have a, a, a more detailed message from them later. But in the meantime, we'll say hello. We haven't had uh, Mr. Mark Tinley for a long time. Mark Tinley, uh, Mark Tinley, of course, is a music technologist, sound artist, and a creative hat wearer. Um, and I just look, if you look at this, <laughs> look at the colour of Mark's hat and the colour of the logo. That is just astonishingly... I, I don't know, you must have just picked it up subliminally or you've done it on purpose. How, how are you, Absolutely. Mark? I've been I, I've been sitting for the last four hours adjusting my camera uh, with uh, you know all the azimuths and no, you don't have azimuths on cameras there there that shows it's a lie damn it ah <laughs> you started off so I'm well very well actually good um, what was I doing last week I can't even remember what I was doing last week oh what? no I went to a talk um. But my son's been a bit ill so I'm a bit behind on some of these topic things actually oh well, I'm um, sorry to hear that hope he feels yeah, better soon. We go to hospital, to Yeovil Hospital over the weekend. Oh, dear. Night in the hospital on an IV. Oh, that, so that wasn't much good. fun. No. No. Well, thanks for coming on. I know that must be, uh, you must be quite distracted in that case, but thank you very much anyway, Mark. No, uh, so he's all right now. Ah, it was excellent. A, it was a bit, kind of, well, not touch and go, but just worrying. Yeah. Really. Can be, can't it? It's never good when that sort of stuff happens. But uh, well, all the best to you and yours, and thanks for joining us. And we'll go. Uh, we'll flip over to the uh, west side of uh, Bath. That was at the east side of Bath. Is the west side to Gaz Williams? Gaz Williams, of course, bass player, professional bass player, music technologist, and um, ooh, what's that? That's a uh, is that a Gibson? No, I, I've shown this one before. I think it's a, an Overwater, uh, um, but it's a nineteen seventy nine. Uh, it's got a it's, bit of uh, Firebird vibe a, to it, hasn't it? Kind of, yeah. It's sort of. But uh, I've just had this uh, Glockenklang preamp installed inside <laughs> it, and uh, <laughs> look, April um, Fools was yesterday, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, Glockenklang, but it sounds absolutely amazing now. So, um, but it's it's got one of these things on the head here. Look, oh, drop D. Yeah. Yeah, nice. That's a nice looking thing, actually. Do you find yourself using that a lot? I ha- Do you know, it's... <clears throat> this is the bass that was kind of... The John Entwistle is the forerunner to the, the buzzard bass, the John Entwistle. I think he had a falling out with the guy who made it, uh, and it never came out as the John Entwistle bass in the end. But it's, it's got such a clanging, ca- clanging kind of aggressive sound. So it's... Do you know, I'm looking for a gig 
for the bass. Because every, <laughs> everything I've used it on, it's just been so extreme and so kind of gnarly that, uh, yeah, i got to find a gig. I, I'm trying to... I think like if some 80s metal band or something was reforming, I reckon, or... Yeah, something like that. A jam I mean, tribute band. <laughs> yeah, something really... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, okay, uh, well, that, it's, yeah, feast. Well, I wish you luck with that, Gaz, and it's, uh, thank you very <laughs> much. Uh, uh, all di- all questions can be directed through to uh, gazwilliams.me. There we are, where you can find out all things Gaz. Lots of lots of good stuff that Gaz posts there outside of uh, what you might see on the Sonic State. Mm. So, uh, yes, thank you very much. Uh, hopefully seeing Gaz tomorrow for a bit more Sonic Touch action. And Rich Hilton. From Rich from Hiltonius. In fact, it's funny there that on the lower third, you've just got Sir coming through on the. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know what that is, but it looks like Hilton, Rich Hilton, Sir. How are you, Rich Hilton? Of course, is the keyboard player and uh, with Chic goes out. Is doing very busy. Lots of Chic are basically playing every festival above a certain capacity in the world um, over the next eight or ten months. So you will probably see Rich going past you. The chances are he might pass you on, on the motorway or something, or so you might see him in an airport if you're out and about at all. Of course, Rich is also studio guy for Nile Rogers. How are you, Rich? Very well, thank you. I'm glad to hear that. Been uh, busy at the studio in between your um, gigging? Yes, very busy, uh, both there and here, working on music. Right. Oh, well, that sounds good. Glad to hear it. Yeah. Um, So, let me see. Where are we? We I suppose we could start. Um, First topic. Uh, Just getting my chat room up. Sorry, I missed that. I was a bit slow. Uh, First topic. Um... Yeah, April Fools. It was April Fools yesterday, and it's funny the 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 interwebs seem to have kind of they've lessened the impact of April Fools because it's almost like every headline you see, which you know, being uh, when you write headlines for the interwebs, you know, you try and make it eye catching or something about it that makes you sort of think, oh really? But on April Fools' Day, that all kind of gets negated because everybody thinks, oh, was that real? Is that a real headline or is that not? They just don't really know. So I wonder whether or not there are any. Um, any particular good ones that anybody saw? There was obviously uh, one thing that I did see that Tim Webb of uh, Discord, who uh, sometimes appears in the chat room, uh, he did uh, an app for cats day. Uh, I think I may or may not. Uh, yes, I don't think I managed to get that. I think I, but uh, so he he put up a load of stuff which basically said, you know, I'm I'm not doing it for I'm not doing um, music apps anymore because um, nobody's bothered to sponsor me on Patreon. I'm just going to do apps for cats. And he had a load of videos and stuff of cats, which I thought was brilliant. <laughs> and, and sadly, it's probably going to make a great deal more money than the niche of music, you know. But uh, so if you kept, maybe you should have a splinter site. Uh, there was also the Moog um, Genome Project, where they say they've remade um, in in entirety uh, the uh, Keith Emerson Moog Fifty Five series. I know, Gaz. Did you see anything particularly? Um, anything? Anybody get you on April Fools? What was the Eventide one? The angry, what was it? The angry plugin. What, what was that? <laughs> Didn't see that, that one. Was, uh, um, I'm just trying to think what that one. Uh, there was, there was, a, there was a few one there. Um, uh, it's a shame though, because I sometimes get, I do get excited. I know that they're April Fools, but I do get excited about some of these silly ideas. Um, oh, what was it? Um, can, can, can you come back to me? I'm just going to look up something. Very well, I, w- I certainly will. Rich. April Fool's very big in this in the US. Sure. Did you get April Fooled? I did. I uh, found a great one, and I actually posted it um, 
to my Facebook page. Introducing the Royer R121XL. <laughs> Royer Labs announces the availability of the R121XL, the world's longest ribbon microphone. Featuring an 8-inch long ribbon, the R121XL delivers unprecedented proximity effect and low frequency extension. Um, and then after a bunch of other very, very technical descriptions about how and why they've done this, it says, Unlike short ribbon mics whose elements necessarily resonate within the audio band, <laughs> the R121XL's frequency response is flat down to 5 hertz making it the world's finest microphone for recording 64-foot pipe organs or the move movement of tectonic plates. <laughs> nice. So that's I, that's, I think, my favorite one I saw is the Royer microphone. Excellent. That sounds like a good one. I miss, I, like I said, I sort of, I did kind of tend to switch off a little bit. In fact, there was uh, a man called Howard Jones, who was, uh, who is the head honcho at Source Distribution. They do sort of Moog and Artoria and TC, sorry, and uh, Universal Audio uh, stuff. And he just said, posted a really grumpy Facebook update saying, what is with all this rubbish? Just every year, all that happens is, you know, a load of unfunny stuff. And I, I kind of, there was a lot of that, but I didn't, uh, there were some good ones too. Mark, did you get anything? Any, anybody get you? Not really, no. I, I did find a cassette recorder audio processor rack extension, and I actually want it. <laughs> and which was supposed to be an April Fool. I love, I love the idea of anything that could make all my music sound like a cassette recorder. Well, but, there, and there's always no, a cassette I recorder. Been out. I've been at home, so nobody caught me out. East didn't go to school on April Fool's Day, so nobody caught him out. So well, no, we've uh, we've escaped. We've escaped. Year, you could always just get an, uh, a cassette recorder. I've that? got a cassette recorder that plugs into my USB port, believe it or not. Is it a USB cassette recorder? That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's not. It sounds absolutely awful. Oh, does it? Who's it made by? Um... Uh, Sounds like one of those. Sounds like one of those Ion Lenovo, I think. Lenovo. No, oh no, no, it's not them. It's someone. I don't know. It's. I'll find it in a minute. I'll show it to you. Maybe it's maybe it's a USB data drive. Electro Electro Harmonics had a good one. Ah, nice. Electro Harmonics have one as well. Sorry. Yeah, it was the vacuum tube digital delay. It was the first ever analog vacuum tube digital delay. It runs forever on 209-volt batteries and is pedalboard-friendly, weighing in at 86 pounds. Uh. So get that one digital sound <laughs> that only 31 analog vacuum tubes can produce. Available uh. spring 2019. Uh, that's right. <laughs> A little too far-fetched. It has to be almost true, doesn't it? That's the thing. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, I can't seem to get the... Uh, I, I can't get my desktop showing up, so I can't show any um, any web pages, which is a bit of a drag, but I'm sure we could struggle through nonetheless. Um, so, um, let's see. Maybe we should have uh, all the threes as, a, as our first proper topic. This is a video posted by um, Retro Synthads, a, a collection of multiple 303s. We've got the actual 303. XOX box, the TB3, and a TT303, which is the base box clone. And I, I know it's all YouTubed and what have you, but I must say, they were quite similar. <laughs> Certainly not too grand dissimilar, shall we say. That's the base bot, I guess. 
Uh, that's the... Is that the real 303? Yes, I think that's the real 303. I don't know what that is. Can't see from here. Oh, that's the uh, XO Xbox. And that's the TB3. So... What do you think about that then? I mean, I know we're not necessarily. Uh, uh, Mark seems to vanish, and it's three hundred threes are kind of his thing. So I hope he can, <laughs> hope he can chip in on that. Mark, did you see that? That was the three hundred three um, comparison video. Yeah, I watched it. Uh, um, you're, you're more the three hundred three connoisseur. It's really perhaps. clear that the TB, the Roland TB three hundred three in that particular video sounds way better than any of the rest of them. And I don't, it's a very subtle thing. It, uh, it's. I thought that the TT303 was the same as the TB303, but it's having just watched that, it clearly isn't. And the new Roland one, that doesn't sound good either. So, uh, but does it? I mean, you know, see, but we are talking subtlety here. I mean, it, one thing oh, it's it made very me subtle, but it's to do with the way it twangs off the off the envelope and the uh, it's the filter envelope and the way you get that wank kind of twangy kind of uh, vibe to it. Uh, my main problem with TB303s is that in 1988, our manager, or who became Adam's manager, Phil Smith, lent me a TB303, and I sold it for 50 quid. And, uh, and he lives about seven miles up the road from me, and the other day he came round and said, uh, you still owe me a 303. Uh-oh. <laughs> and I'm like thinking, well, I sold it for 50 quid, but if I want to replace it, it's going to cost me about two grand probably isn't it so i don't know I it's a bit, well you could always get him a tb3 with a tt303 or something say sorry about that and here have this one well, the, now there's it's a man there's a man who holds a grudge i mean how many years ago was that exactly oh 20 <laughs> Near, oh well, nearly 20 years ago no more isn't it uh 1980 i i sold it when i moved i went to america in 1989 at the end of 1989 so i sold it just before i left so, I don't know. You do the math. I can't work yeah, it out. Yeah, some time ago. <laughs> yeah. 20, Sorry, 20, <laughs> 24, 25 years ago. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I, maybe it's a good excuse to go and buy a TB3. Then I can try it out and kind of do a bit of something with it and then give it to him as a Christmas stroke birthday present because his birthday's on uh, Christmas Eve. I suppose so. But, I mean, uh, the thing about it is, you know, as you said, those are very subtle differences. And I'm just, you know, this is this is something that seems to be coming up more and more now. It's like that subtlety, you know, the the, the difference in price compared to the subtlety. I'm not talking 303s in general. I, but I'm, I'm going to be I controversial. Oh, sorry. I'm going to be I was going to say, I think the subtle like the sound of the TB3. Oh. I like the sound of the TB3 the best out of that. <laughs> Yeah, I thought it sounded juicier. It just sounded a bit. Oh, it just sounded. I don't know. I thought it sounded really nice. It had a had a really kind of deep, boingy sound to it, and I just thought, ooh, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that, but that was my. Uh, that was Should my one want it. one? I suppose. Sorry, I go think it, it's all to do with the way a TB3 squidges off the syncopation. So you put things in there that are going to be all on the wrong beats, technically. They're not on the down beats anyway. And it kind of squidges off it and kind of makes everything sound like it's really fluid and kind of like, you know, like something is in your system that's not meant to be. Mm. <laughs> I know, Rich. Um, 303, I mean, if you were going to go for would you? would you, how far would you go to get a specific sound? I mean, would you kind of seek out the original or would, you, would one of those, one of those would probably do if there was one in, in, in place of it, right? 
if you needed that oh, sound. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. It is subtle. It's not an issue for me at all. Uh, it's fine, though. And it was enjoyable to watch. Yeah. It's I, kind of fun. It, am I allowed to point out that it's kind of funny to <coughs> audition bass synthesizers through one of the cheapest mixers in the history of audio? What was that mixer? Was that a little... Um, Who knows? It was some cheap boss mixer, and I'm sure it sounds fine in a way, but you know, I'm supposed to be auditioning bass sounds through the thing. Well, mm -hmm. I suppose that's fair enough. <laughs> I think the idea was really... I mean, for me, it sounded like um, some of them had a wider dynamic range between the non-action and the accent, and it sort of seemed slightly more pleasing to me with that was, that was dropped a little bit. The patches weren't matched in any realistic way. I mean, in other words, he didn't go to any trouble to make them all sound the same. He just kind of put up what generally looked like more or less the same patch, and they started turning the filter knob. And they never really truly matched, but at various points through the travel of any given one's filter knob, I could hear substantially what I was hearing from the other ones. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing with calibration, I think, that, that definitely comes. I mean, I don't know if you can see just over there behind me, that is the MS-20 kit that I built yesterday. Look at my fingers, they're sore just from, <laughs> from screwing in, I don't know, nearly a thousand nuts onto these. Uh, and, and behind the screen there, there's also the MS-20, and I put them side by side as part of the uh, appraisal, because, I mean, there's no point in me reviewing the whole thing, because it's, you know, I did an MS-20 Mini, and it's essentially the same stuff. And, um, and they are very, very similar, but the calibration is different, so the resonance kicks in earlier on the old, the real MS-20, but that's probably because it's, you know, got some weird metals in some of the, you know, I mean, it's it's 30 years old, so it's going to be different. But I mean, if, it, yeah. if, you put, if you put two Jupiter 8s next to each other, or three Jupiter 8s next to each other, they all sound not vaguely different, but totally different. Mm. Uh, Nick mm -hmm. Rhodes has got two Jupiter 8s that don't sound anything like each other at all. Um and I guess that's partly down to calibration, but it's partly down to how things deteriorate over time and how the sound changes over time and the tolerances of things that were in there in the first place. So, yeah. I mean, I guess what, I was, what I'm saying about that TB303 video is that particular TB303 well, sounded yeah. nicer to my ears than any of the, those particular other things. Right, well, maybe that's... Mark, am I looking at the box for your uh, USB cassette recorder there? Now, that is an awesome bit of product placement right there. <laughs> That's excellent. What you need now is to just uh, get that kind of uh, home shopping club um, hand manicure to come in and sort of, you know. <laughs> excellent. Uh, for those that were asking, but for those that were asking, 799999. There's only five left. Ring now. But yes, the. Uh, the MS-20 kit does work uh, first time. Um, I was a bit, you know, because it was like a lot of work. I was thinking, God, I really hope I don't have to take all these nuts out again to have a look at the circuit board. One thing we did do is there are these three prongs on the circuit with a jumper, and you move it between these two and these two for the two different filter types. And we put together, we trailed some wires out and put a little toggle switch so you can we switch between the filters. So you can hear the Type 1 filter, which is a 35, Korg 35 chip, and the, the Type 2 filter, which is, gosh, uh, LM1, LM something or other. I, I, did, I had some notes to that effect. And that's quite interesting, as there is quite a difference. And, uh, you know, you can switch it in. And, but the one thing I can't understand is why the heck didn't they just supply a wire with a, with a switch and, like, maybe a hole in the front panel and a grommet so that you could put it in or not if you wanted? I mean, because it's just, it's there now, and I've built it, and, um, and, and it works. But now the only problem is I've got now is that 
they're going to want this thing back and I'm somehow going to have to deconstruct the high thing. I'm not, I am actually, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to take all of it apart, take all the nuts out and everything and put it back in the box somehow as it came. There's just no way that's going to happen. So they'll have to send a box that I can put the, the fully built thing in it. So there, that's what I'm saying. But it was, you know, it does work and it, it seems to be fine. Oh, what's that? Hello? Some hoovering. Yes. Oh, Rich, some, something's happened to your gain. You've just gone all sort of... You've gone back into your... Um, I don't know what's happened there. Something something strange. <laughs> I'll mute you and then you can let me know when it, uh, when it comes back. Um, right, so the next topic. Uh, all the threes. Anyway, if you wanted to see that, that was the TB303 XO Xbox, the TB3, which is the brand new Roland one, and the TT303 by a chap called RetroSynthads on YouTube. So do check it out. And... Um, I was going to go to this, the latest inspirational purchase or acquisition. Now, this was something mm. that just came up purely because I have uh, some new things in the studio. I've had quite a lot this week. I've also had the MS-20 kit. I've got this, which is the uh, IntelliGel Atlantis module, which is a sort of, it's kind of like an SH2, SH-101, I believe. That's what they modeled it on in a module. And I've also got the Behringer X32 um compact which is lovely little you know it's a variation on the x32 which i've reviewed i've got it in because i'm reviewing the um os2 software and it got me think because i got really inspired because what i was doing with this thing was uh running these drones into the frozen reverbs i'm just sort of tripping out with uh, delays and stuff and this is all just that module going into this Oh, and I can run three of the, four of these instances, and I just got into this. Oh, it was quite inspirational. So it got me thinking. It's about time we had a. What's the last thing you got, tried, bought, instrument, or effect, or software, or whatever that kind of creatively excited you and got you somewhere where you didn't uh, get an opportunity to go? And I'm looking. I'm looking at you, Gaz, because you're always acquiring. I, I know what you're going to say. At least I bloody hope you're going to say this because well, you've just got a hold yes. of the electron. It's going to be a bit of an obvious one, this. Oh, right, okay. uh, but uh, electron analog keys, without a shadow of a doubt, it really is floating my boat majorly. And uh, it's interesting because we've talked about it quite a lot. And having actually spent the last week using any spare time I could possibly find um, getting into that thing. But it, what it, it sort of reminds me, in a way, of a computer game a little bit, in terms of right. uh, if you want to really get the most out of it. It's so about, if you don't beat the boss at the level, you can't get the function you want, and you've got to go all the way back to the beginning. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there, yeah. <laughs> it's sort of a little bit like that. But, I mean, it's, it's a lot to do with the shortcuts. And... I can definitely say, having spent a bit of time with it, that the whole business about the little screen is really is not an issue at all, for me anyway, because I, 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 and, and I think the reason for that is, is that the workflow isn't centered around the screen. You can reference things off the screen, but unlike some other sequences and other things that I've used, the workflow isn't based on the screen. So the workflow is more based on the uh, the buttons, really, more than anything, I think. But um, Okay, so, um, yeah. I mean, without getting too sort of, you know, um, electron love, what's the, what's the, <laughs> what, in terms of creativity and stuff, you know, yeah. what's, what doors has it opened that I think, weren't open, available to you before? 
I think it sounds great. I love the sound of it. So I think the combination of this, uh, the, the way that the sequencer works and, all, and, and the way that you can just do stuff. Like I was building many, many patterns, like sort of um, eight patterns, creating, super, creating variations really fast, leaving it in record, creating variation, copying it across into the next pattern, copying it across, creating variation using the chain function. The chain function's really cool, you know. So, so you can, it's whole... kind of, there's a sort of live, uh, Ableton Live almost vibe, so you can get going in that, that way, yeah? Yeah, well, except you can't do anything like this on Ableton Live to be, you know, in, in, in all honesty, in terms of just, you know, because I'm pressing buttons, ding, ding, adding things. It, well, I mean, there is an element which is similar. Yes, I sorry, I, I know what you mean. But it is a different, it is a different workflow. It's a unique workflow. And the more I've been getting my head around how that workflow, you know, the way that you meant to do it, the more I've just been sort of thinking, okay, a lot of these design, a lot of these, what might quest line decisions i think are incredibly clever very right. well thought out okay well I, i'm sure me and mark can probably debate with that that with <laughs> you for a little while maybe later on but let's i think we should go to you know what's the let, let's try and get the you know what were the last uh what was the last thing that you mark what was the last thing that you kind of got hold of that uh i've got apart from the usb cassette uh, it wasn't this let's move <laughs> that out the way because it definitely wasn't that Right, okay, so here's a shock for you. The last thing I bought that's uh, changed the way that I create things is Windows 8.1. Really? And, and the reason why is because um, I decided my laptop was flagging, and as you know, my laptop is a Windows laptop with a Mac operating system on it. So I thought I'd buy a different, uh, a faster one, um, one that's compatible with the Mac OS. So I got it the guy that sold it to me had put windows 8.1 on it and i thought well hang on a minute before i go to all the trouble of installing mac os what would happen if i just started putting all of the stuff i use on there in windows 8.1 and i'll just try windows 8.1 and see what it's like and i just uh, after and after initially kind of finding it a bit difficult to get my head around because everything seems to be oversimplified now and that kind of it's presented in a in a very tablet kind of form yeah um when I found my way back to the more Windows-style operating system, and I've, I've installed Ableton, and then after that I installed all of the plug-in packs, and then I installed everything that I've used in terms of all my plugins, everything that I've ever bought. I thought, oh, well, I might as well install all those things because I've got the serial numbers and they're cross-platform compatible, uh, which means that suddenly all the fruity or FL Studio it's called now, isn't it? Yeah. All the FL Studio stuff is now available to me from within Ableton. Vaz Modular, which is one of my favorite software synths, is now available, and I used to have to boot into a separate Windows partition to do that. So although, uh, and, and I've noticed, really, that there's absolutely no difference at all between using Ableton on a PC or a Mac. It's the same same thing. It's, it's so... I've just got a few VST things that I liked that I didn't have access to on the Mac because they're PC VSTs. Um, and, so you've changed DAW as well, right? Medina, right. Yeah, uh, I've changed to Ableton because I'm absolutely loving the fact that, I mean, one of the things I, I like to do is I like to drag pieces of music into the thing I'm working on and I usually go via recycle. So I'll pull a loop out of something and then drag it into 
logic and then kind of loop it up, and that takes forever. And what I've discovered is that if I drag any piece of music from my iTunes library onto the Ableton pane, it just maps it, and beat maps it, and then I can go in there and set markers and make a loop and just <laughs> into the crazy things where I've been taking like 10 songs, of, uh, 10 of my favorite songs, and then sticking them all on top of each other and changing the keys so they all play with each other, and then going like, oh, that sounds like a mess, but somewhere in there I can hear that if I just take that element from here and that element from here and then sort of creating new styles for by being able to hear those things together rather than just imagining them together in my mind. It means I can work things out. So I've worked things out that I've, I've wanted to understand some things musically since like the early 80s. And you've been able to do like that? The drum, like the drum fill in Rocket, Herbie Hancock. Cox Rocket. Why does that drum fill do what it does? Well, I just basically I put it in Ableton and played around with it, and I've slowed it down in different ways and messed around with it, and, and kind of worked out. You know, it's just basically a DMX, but it's doing a certain pattern, and 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 then to take elements of that that out and go, I like that bit. I want to keep that bit, and then I'm sort of building my own library again of things that I like. And then the other thing, of course, is in Logic, I got really kind of into this bad habit of just going, oh, I want a vocal sound. Oh, yeah, there's a preset for vocal sound here. Yeah, I'll just use male radio voiceover number two or whatever. Yeah. And now I'm, like, going back to compressors and gates and things and going, like, oh, well, I need to set that sound up for myself because there's no real preset to do it. And then, oh, I can save the preset here and come back to that next time I want it. And uh it's a bit like Russian Dolls, Ableton. I mean, it just seems that there's always things within things within things within things, and then you can save it out as yeah different levels. I know, I know so what I you're saying. I can save though. a group of instruments as a whole thing, and then, or I can save, you know, like sample sound. It, it, you know, there's like a whole chain. And all, of that, and all so, those presets are available to you when you load up next time. So it sounds Whenever like, I feel like it, yeah. Win- Windows has forced you to into uh, Ableton Live, which is the thing that has kind of opened up creative possibilities for you. That's an interesting uh, sequence of events. Well, I'd, I'd gone Ableton Live anyway because I, I was getting fed up with Logic. There's just a couple of things that, I don't know, Ableton just does some of the loop-based stuff and pattern-based stuff a million times better than Logic. You can jump around ideas. You can jump around patterns and... And go, Have you tried? I, I can assign keys on my keyboard and go, when I press the H key, I want these five patterns to start mm. playing, but they're not on the same horizontal line or on, you know, they're, oh, they're okay. all over. So I can, I'm, I'm like going, oh, does that work with that and that and that? Oh, well, I'll just assign an ASCII key to that, and when I hit that key, all those things will play. And you can take the stop buttons off, and, you know, I'm sure everybody knows all this. But Have you I tried mean, the is, looper, Mark? Have you tried the looper? within it the what the looper it's a one of no, the ableton's own audio plugins yeah, it's supposed to be pretty good too the max audio looper thing no no, no it's I just called looper that. it's one of the standard de- ableton devices but the fact you can set multiple ones of those up you can do some very cool stuff with that 
No, I haven't got that far. I'll have to ah, go. Well, now, yeah. since I've been working with these uh, frozen reverbs, I'm, 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 I want to try and see if I can get a frozen reverb. Uh, I think there's a freeze reverb stuff in Ableton as well. And also, because with the X32, uh, there's a 32 IO USB. So I'm thinking, you know, that would be my sound desk. And every, every sort of, of one of these analog beasts can come in a separate channel. I can. Oh, I, I'm starting to get quite excited. Rich, let's come to you. What? <laughs> Uh, what was your latest, what was your last kind of um, inspirational acquisition, shall we say, musically, whether it be, you know, instrument, effect, process, you know, library, any of those things? Um, it's probably Ableton. It could be uh, Melodyne, but it's probably Ableton because overall I think it's really had an enormous effect on music making on other software developers, on what is expected from a DAW and the way workflows have changed in the last 10 years. Um, so I think it's probably the single most profound change in terms of introductions of product to the music process. That's interesting. Ableton's getting kind of quite a bit of uh, love there. Interesting. I mean, I, I guess I'm in the fortunate position. I mean, a lot of stuff that comes through here in terms of equipment, software, whatever, is a job rather than something I'm necessarily really interested in or really looking forward to getting hold of so I can apply it to my own musical stuff. But I have to say, I mean, I, I figured, you know, just with a setup like this, like with the, the IntelliGel and uh, and some frozen reverbs and what have you and a stereo delay, I'm kind of, I'm almost at a point where I could just go out and gig something, a load of ambient, which might take us on to... Sorry. Don't forget Time Freezer. Time Freezer is a VST plugin that does that frozen delay stuff, and it does it really well. Oh, okay. I'm going to check that one. I'll check that. CR78 in the chat room is saying that uh, um, Bitwig is uh, also updating in the um, even after the after one week. So that's interesting i haven't had a chance to check it there seems to be mixed the comments on the sort of announcement that we put out for bitwig was kind of you know some of it was positive saying great i can't wait some uh, and some of it was like well it doesn't do stuff that i want it to do yet so there's quite a lot of uh, jury still out scenario and i have to say also um i did say something about the pricing last week that um when i just looked on the website it did it it, it was four seven eight us dollars and i think actually it's three nine nine so um i'm guessing if you come at it from maybe the us side you get that proper pricing um but now i think it's probably time for a word from our sponsors and those are isotope so if i press the button the ad usually comes up after a short amount of time let me press this again isotope Ah, telling us all about Alloy 2. If you're not familiar with Alloy 2, it is an essential mixing tool for many people. I know a lot of our panellists use use and have used Alloy as well as other isotope pluggers because they just make such great stuff. Uh, the thing about Alloy 2, you get six powerful tools in one. You get an integrated equaliser, dynamics, exciter, DSer, transient shaper and limiter. You can hear results with immediately with zero latency performance whether you're tracking real time or in the midst of a mix session. you got great presets, over 250 of them in a wealth of advanced controls to further tweak. You've got multiband transient shaper, make a kick drum less boomy or add more snap to a snare those are really cool on live drums actually you can really change the characteristics of of 
They're all sample drums, really open them out or tighten them up in, in, to a great degree. Visual feedback, you get a lot of mixing decisions uh, that you can make with richer meter displays and a guide to guide the way. Uh, there's also a 70 plus page mixing guide called Mixing with Isotope. Uh, it's filled with tips and tricks for hobbyists and pros alike. Available now at isotope.com. If you want to get hold of Alloy 2, and I thoroughly recommend that you try it out, uh, you need to go to isotope.com forward slash alloy and you could get a 10 day. Uh, time limited demo where you'll be able to try it out without any other limitations so once again we thank isotope for their sponsorship of the show um yeah speaking of um eight hour synth modular synth jams um there was uh the news uh, and this was something i was hoping to play but i didn't download the video because an hour of uh, of billy corgan from the smashing pumpkins doing a synth jam he basically did uh i can probably play the sound of it and uh, he He's done a couple of these things now. He's done one. Uh, this The first one was called Siddhartha, um, which uh, was something by Herman Hess. And he basically... It's a shame you can't see this because uh, basically he's got this massive wall of modules. It's just an eight-hour improvisation based on the contents of the... Uh, of the book, which was kind of left-field, I must say. Um, but there's also another one coming up, uh, which is going to be... Uh, let me see. I've got the details here. Uh, it's going to be held... Uh, excuse me one second. Uh, March 30th. In fact, it's gone. So we hopefully we'll see that up. So this is... this On Sunday, March 30th at 1pm, he presented the Sunday with Rumi, which uh, we haven't seen any video up on, on, uh, on the site just yet. Uh, four sonic impressions on poems by the great Sufi mystic, uh, which is is very hippie. I must say, he's kind of gone into this sort of full-on hippie synth jam. It reminds me a little bit of Osric Tentacles or one of those kind of bands that just used to sort of riff on the, uh, the, the almost like the uh, delay <laughs> synth into a delay vibe. Kind of fun, don't you think, Gaz? This sort of thing. I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not sure that eight hours is the sort of thing I would go for. Maybe you know, forty, <laughs> 40 minutes or so. It sort of follows on a little bit from our not enough jamming in synth music. Perhaps there's too much in that instance. <laughs> well, I can't complain because I've done a twelve-hour recording of a constant solid jam. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean. It's cool. I mean, I, we've talked about this before and uh, a few years ago, and because um, I'd, I'd, I'd done this monster long sort of jam that was, yeah, say twelve hours long, but some things happen over time that don't happen if you have to compact your time. So I think that is, I think it's quite interesting that you know that that things can develop over big periods of time. Um, and I think that that's okay. That's not ever going to be a, a commercially viable thing. But from from a, just a, a voyage of sonic discovery, that that long expanse of time, I think is a, I think it's really interesting. I'm very interested in that. I think it's uh, uh, the reason. Part of the reason we did our twelve hour one session was because I, I loved the idea that you'd be you'd be playing music for such a long time that you lose track of everything you just become so you know immersed or even subsumed within the music that uh you know that mm. you start you start to sort of i don't know evolve <laughs> into the situation into um 
You know, so. Yeah, no, I think that's a really valid point, actually, because there was something that I was hearing about, um, and it's one reason I, I listen to audiobooks, because, I mean, we're talking over an audiobook, I might listen, it might be 16 hours long, you know, whereas a movie of the, the film, a film of mm. the book that I might be listening to is you know, an hour and 40, two hours, you know, so there's all this, all this detail and atmosphere that has to be condensed or discarded as a result. There's just no real, um, it doesn't seem to be any real vehicle for, for longer form stuff. I don't know, Rich, I mean, you know, you working in pop music and popular music, you know, where the form factor is short, you know, with a six minute song is kind of considered perhaps to be a bit excessive in that field. You know, it, it does happen, certainly album tracks or whatever, but, you know, that whole notion of much longer form music, it's kind of quite lost in terms of perhaps pop music. Do you think there's... A, what what vehicles are there? Are there ways? I don't know if I can think of any ways to, to, to get that across, to play it, apart from what he's doing, perhaps. As part of the process of pop music? Well, yeah, I don't know. Any, the uh, only thing I can even think of that compares to it is like a rave. Yeah, where you've got a live DJ, com, you know, combining disparate ele- uh, elements across the entire length of a night. That's um, true. Creating new pieces of music. That's but very usually good. there's not a lot of jamming involved in terms of multiple people in those things. At least, so more likely a, sing- a limited single- experience with mm. these things. I've never seen it. It's like a single imagination rather than a multiple. Typically, but you, yeah, but they used to be, didn't, what, didn't Grateful Dead used to do that kind of thing? I mean, you know, live and just basically, sure. yeah. Oh, and there's a whole, like, I, I may have made reference to this recently. There's a whole jam band movement in the United States that's been going on for 10 or 15 years now, where there's a lot of this sort of postmodern Grateful Dead worshipping, songwriting meets folk music kind of groups out there that do this stuff and have... Significant followings. Perhaps the best known of them is the band Fish, P-H-I-S-H, right. from uh, Vermont. But there's been a whole bunch of them, and they're, it's quite popular here. Hmm, interesting idea. I mean, I think that is a good point about uh, the, the long... I guess a gig is kind of pretty much it, or that sort of performance. I don't know, what do you think, Mark? I'm guessing, you know, you could have a 303 jam night. Then you could uh, explore all the subtleties of a particular 303. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, isn't a DJ set so goes some way towards doing mm. something like this? But what about a sitcom? You could have, like, a whole series of programs. And, and instead of, like, doing an album that was an hour long, you could have a series of albums, but the same characters keep coming back into the album. You know what, actually, like... Can you remember Ogden's Nut Gone Flake by um, Small Faces? The, the, yeah, Small Faces. Or um, Too Old to Rock and Roll, Too Young to Die by Jethro Tull. These are like story based things. So, something with a story. I mean, I, the weird thing about this topic is it's sort of straying into an area where I'm trying to create something because I do philosophical talks and I write. And I do music, so and I do speaking, um, and I want to combine those things into a new sort of art form, and I haven't found a solution to that yet. So uh, this sounds and and that would be a one and a half to two hour event, or if it was recorded, it could end up being really long. I mean, a podcast. How about podcasts? A podcast's not long form um, entertainment, in the same way that your audio book is. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I suppose this podcast is, you know, last week's was uh, almost an hour and a half, I believe. Um, 
you know, which yeah. is fine. But it, it, it's an, I suppose it's a, it, in terms of we're looking at parallels, it's a similar, you know, if we were all, if all our voices were being represented by musical input rather than. Uh, well, we should have interludes. Do you Jazz think we should have. Like a song every, every four minutes or something, <laughs> break it up with a song. And then oh, he's off. Can do a song. There he goes. <laughs> so I can make some weird noises. And I could just like go like this. Drop some lovely synths into some everlasting reverbs. That's it. I'll just leave that there forever. No, I think I probably would spare. Although I, it's very funny just having that stuff on. I've been, because I've been working on it um, over the last few days and t- developing this idea. And uh, Andy works in the other side of this wall, keeps coming and going, oh, that sounds nice. You just, and you just sort of feel when, it's, when there's a drone like that on, you just can almost feel like it's. It's preferable to the hum of a computer fan, you know. It's just, mm-hmm. it sort of masks all the other background noise. It's quite a pleasing kind of concept. But, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the iPad app, Scape, by Brian Eno and my good friend Peter Chilvers, uh, is quite nice in that it will just keep playing, you know, indefinitely forever and constantly change and constantly morph over time and like a drone but that's lovely uh it makes such a lovely sound that you can just leave it on and quietly just just doing its own thing um it's always interesting but not quite interesting enough (laughs) (laughs) some great comments in the chat room uh let me see uh just go for a cup of tea uh i think who's it who said that when we get boring um uh, uh, it's gone past already. It's past, but yes, yeah, so that's a fair comment. Um, maybe you know, maybe Billy Corgan okay, has got I'm not doing cabaret, by the way. Not doing cabaret. Okay, well, maybe Billy no, Corgan's got it about cabaret, Mark. No, <laughs> <laughs> maybe sorry. Maybe maybe Billy Corgan's actually got it about right. You know, just creates a big Google Hangout and just has an event, and you know, people just dip in and out. I often thought about, you know, because I've thought about the idea of just having these analogue jams and just broadcasting them and then, you know, see if people want to, if it's any good, obviously, if the people are involved can make something good out of it, you know, maybe there's an edit afterwards and you can do something with the audio. I think, you know, there's something that happens with... It's like open mic nights, isn't it? Except it's not an open mic. (laughs) Or it could be like, um, you know, an an internet version of stand-up. Right, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I think that could work. Uh, open mic. Whoever turns up, turns up, and then... But you'd need a, you'd need a catchy name for it now. Yeah, I will work on that. Yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting notion, and I think something... You know, I'm, I, as, I, as I get to play with more analogue stuff and come out, I mean, a lot of these things come down to work for, but this, this takes me on to another topic, actually, because having, you know, a, yet another highly capable synthesizer in the rig, just for a moment... Um, and also I've been, I've had a couple of these, um, Suto Tai Guy, um, uh, smaller modules, which is a positive and negative mixer, which is really cool. So you can put any signal in it and you can turn the polarity, uh, v- continually variable up or down. So you can invert waveforms or what have you. And there's another one, which is called dot uh, com, which takes any signal and just outputs it a square wave, um, a one on two octaves down at various points apart, you know, just really sort of interesting. And I'm just thinking, you know, what, what I need is a resource where I could just go, how do I 
you know, what when I'm I, I can sink a couple of oscillators. Now, what can I do? What techniques are there that are available that I can apply the, in this modular world and sort of do some interesting things with? Because it? it's it's all about exploration. And the thing is, is if you go past it, you might not know you've actually used that technique. And it feels me that there's I couldn't think of anywhere where I could go. I don't know, Rich. Are you? Um, You've been involved in synthesizers for a long time, you know, being what, in terms of, you know, being in sales of them in the past and what have you. What, did you find that there was a, a market or a, a need for people to kind of go, right, I need to know how to make sounds like this or how to, how to or is it still very much a kind of self-discovery journey that we all have to go on and, and keep it to ourselves? It just doesn't seem to me like there's a way, you know, great patches using ring mold, for instance, you know, just stuff that, you know, basic principles of synthesis, but a little bit more... Because there are other um, techniques that are just a pure wave through a filter with an envelope. And I just can't find resources for sort of developing those. you know of anything? <laughs> it's always just been sort of discussions within the community. Um, there have been books with patch examples. And Keyboard Magazine sort of has waved this flag for about as long as it's been waved. Regarding, you know, patch suggestions, they've had tutorials over the years for different popular instruments or popular pieces of software and ways of doing interesting things. And they've had some very good authors uh, giving some very instructive examples of things to do like that. So, yeah, I think there's a long history of it. However, I think that the interest in it right now is perhaps higher than it's ever been, which is rather remarkable to me. To, to get to another aspect of your question, um, whether it's been more about self-discovery or about trying to achieve a certain kind of patch that other people have already achieved and popularized, I would have to say both. Mm. Because in some cases, the guy bought the Minimoog because he wanted to be able to make Minimoog basses like Bernie Worrell. And in some cases, he bought the Arp String Ensemble because he wanted to be able to play the same patch that the guy used in whatever record that that thing was on. And... Um, you know, in other cases, it's a matter of uh, self-exploration and things like that. You know, guys who bought ARP 2600s usually before Edgar Winter weren't looking to emulate anything with it, but pretty much just, you know, explore through it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that uh, I'm getting lots of great stuff from the chat room, which is, you know, obviously get on YouTube, what have you. And I'd agree, there are quite a lot of videos on YouTube of people making noises with, uh, with, I think, I with think it, but sorry. Well, the best resource I've ever found is uh, Gordon Reed's long-running um, Synth Secrets uh, that was published in Sound on Sound over many, many years. But all of that is accessible on the internet. But he does, in, through that series, he will do, you know, how to make, you know, how to emulate certain sounds. I, I, I used it when I was trying to make an organ sound. Uh, this, um, But that, when you add up all of those articles together... Uh, that's a considerable resource, I think. Um, very, very well written. Ah, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at this at the moment. I'm, that's a good yeah, call, sound actually. On sound. That's a sound good. Sound on sound was always very good for that. I've yeah. got, I've got a book called Synthesizer Second Edition, and it's like four books in a cardboard sleeve, and it's by the Roland Corporation. But it's like a really early book, so it's from I don't know, 1970 something, maybe. But it explains how envelopes work, but it re it's, there's a chart that you pull out in the middle and it shows all the instruments and all the ranges of the instruments. And then, I mean, that's kind of how I learned to do it from that book. 
I'm just looking at this. This uh, I wish I could show you this page. There's some great titles here. There's uh, uh, this is all Gordon Reed stuff. Uh, Synth Secret, Secret of the Big uh, Creative Synthesis with Delays. Um, um, let's have a look. Uh, practical Flute Synthesis, <laughs> synth, uh, Synthesizing Pan Pipes, uh, Synth Secrets, b- Practical Bowed Strings. Yeah, loads of stuff. Uh, deconstructing a Snare Sound. Wow. I'm going to have to get stuck into this. So, yeah, Sound on Sound is the place to go. But um, And I, I didn't know if there were any other books, but uh, I, I'm gonna, definitely going to go and check those out. But, um, yeah, that looks very useful. Oh, who's that? That's, uh, the chat room, again, again, have been very helpful. There's, ah, uh, uh, okay. Maybe I just need to do a bit more uh, bit more YouTube. That's I, something I'd like to do myself, but I don't know enough about it to make those videos. It's kind of, it's a chicken and egg kind of scenario, really. Um, so, yeah, perhaps what we need to do is get a synthesizer designer in to just come and kind of go, right, here's what, uh, here's what you should try. Because I know there are sort of several, there's, um, I'm trying to remember what the name of the chap is, the synthesizer's... Uh, Oh, I've got. I'm, I'm, I've talked myself into a cul-de-sac. I can't remember the names <laughs> of any of the things I, I'm trying to talk of. Um, okay, well, I think it's well worth because the, the thing about any kind of synthesis, but specifically modular synthesis, you, because you could just try kind of m- much, you know, many patches with, with many things. There's just so many other techniques that you could kind of pop into um, to try out. Yes. Howie on the show. Yeah, Howard Scar. Maybe we should get Howard Scar to do us a, a series of. Uh, of uh, technique concepts because he could probably talk into, an idea. in terms of um, I doubt if we could afford him he, talk, he talk, talks in terms of technique um, oh well, what was the other thing uh, this is this this is one other thing perhaps the last one it's five o'clock we'll just pop in because that uh, rather petered out that one let's have a listen at this This is the, uh, now, if I, Cicada Earhoof, which is a very unusual name for um, anything. This is actually running on iPad, although the way it's lit, it actually looks like it's, it, it's a plastic thing that does that, which is kind of cool. Reminds me a little bit of a um, an electronic um, baran. Mm-hmm. Um, Gaz, have you tried that out? It's a, basically yeah. it's, a, it's a it's a new uh, app from uh, Cicada uh, Cicada uh, four ninety nine, um, and it's it just looks like it could be kind of fun for playing. It's again another one of those things. And it's the problem with a lot of this stuff is it's just figuring out how you could actually usefully use it. Have you tried it? Mm. Yes, I have, uh, and I think it's. It's very interesting. I've not actually seen anything quite like it, although there is aspects of it which is a little bit like Isotope's uh, brake tweaker, funnily enough, um, in that you can do, you can make each little beat, like break it up into tiny little tiny slithers, a brrr kind of vibe. Um, the workflow on it is quite interesting. It's really, I don't think it's designed particularly to be uh, like a standalone thing. I have... Uh, so therefore, it's actually quite well specified in terms of audio bus and interapp audio support. So if you have it running um, into something like Loopy or Cubasis or something like that, then 
you could just create layers sort of one at a time into a third-party piece of software because uh, it looks like that there's different tracks there, but if but es essentially each of the tracks that we saw in that across, um, they're all different sequences of the same sample, effectively. Ah, uh, okay. And uh, and you can just drag your finger across each of those lanes, and it won't lose the the timing. So so it all stays in sync. Uh, and then you can go into each one of those tracks, and you can kind of um, sequence your own. And there, and that bit there is a bit like break tweaker. Um, it's it's a quirky approach. It's an it's one of those things. Uh, you know, I I I I was interested. I still am interested in the iPad, or not just the iPad. The whole idea of touch devices giving you new ways to do things. And this is a good example of something that. But you know, a, without this touch interface, it would have been impossible to achieve you know you wouldn't be able to do it with a mouse on a you know it wouldn't work on a computer it really needs that touch interface in order to work and um and what's quite neat there as well is so within e so each of the strips has got its own sequence and there's like a kind of low pass filter um along the y-axis and then what you do is you can just pinch a section of your sequence uh and then and then so as you widen your fingers, it'll play more of the sequence. And if you do it with like your three fingers and your middle finger, if that, that middle finger there, if you tap into it, it acts like a hold. So you can lock the little bit of the sequence that you've, uh, that you've selected. And then you can open up a page of parameter adjustments. Uh, and that parameter adjustments page is quite interesting because you can create a scene of parameter settings and then you can press a plus button and you can just keep adding different scene settings of parameter adjustments for that and then you can just jump around between those parameter scenes um so yeah interesting interesting uh, idea uh, yeah definitely interesting idea mark i'm guessing um with now you're in the windows world are you going to be tempted to get maybe a, 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 a windows touch device so you can apply both of your all your digits to the uh, to the interface well <laughs> uh the answer to that is, of course, I, I've been reading up on whether um, we're Ableton will work well with Windows 8.1 touchscreen devices, and people are all saying that the touchscreens are too small. Uh, so I did discover that Lenovo, and not Lenovo who made my cassette recorder because that wasn't who made it, um, uh, Lenovo make a 27-inch touchscreen device uh, with a with a two-hour battery life, which sounds sounds like a really Bloody good hell. idea to me. So, so, so it's like, I can't do it on this screen, can I? 27-inch <laughs> <laughs> I mean, It's the biggest that... screen I've had so far. It was like 24, I think, on an iMac. So I'm sort of like thinking about going to like a much bigger screen. And then theoretically, if the screen's big enough, then you can, you'll be able to touch anything and use it like a mouse, right? Um and then it has like this. There's another. There's a stand that comes with it that you can put it on. Which and it comes with pucks as well for playing uh, table snooker or something. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's obviously fairly robust. Well, it's that's a good. bloody great big thing. But I love the idea that it's got a two-hour battery life and it's got Wi-Fi in it. The idea is that you've got like a huge, great big TV-sized touchscreen 
Windows computer that you can take to any room in the house and watch a movie for a couple of hours and then bring it back and then you know work on wow, it. Wow, I'm not I'm uh, not sure I want to kind of give any children you know it's like here take this 27 inch television and sort of wander around the house with it. Yeah, but the interesting idea. I, I just like the idea of walking into a, a bar or a cafe <laughs> and going, look at the size of his iPad, and then oh, oh, look how big my computer is. <laughs> <laughs> Very much one uppy. I know, Rich. Yeah, we've talked but, about this but before. It, you know, it might work well. I, I'd need to go and try out and see how how I think the the touchscreen interface feels because it. it yeah. You know, I mean, that's the the one thing that's missing from doing stuff on the computer is I want to turn my cutoff and my resonance, or I want to turn my gain and uh, uh, cut, and I want to ch- find the frequency on my parametric, or I want to like play two keys at once or four keys at once. I mean, I could, you can sort of do that on an ASCII keyboard, but not really. It would be nice to just be able to go on the bloody great big screen and just go and grab things and turn them around and go, oh yeah, we're doing this like we do on the iPad, but on a bigger screen mm-hmm. and in my main digital audio workstation and not in. Uh, you know, some of these iPad apps are... Uh, well, they're too small. You can't blimmin' see what's going on because it's such a small screen. But they, some of them use the same... Um, you know, there's, a, there's a, a, an under... Uh, that's what it's called, core library. There's a core library of filters and things. So you go, oh, look, I've got the MS-20. But if the... Okay, maybe not with Korg, but with a lot of them... You go, oh, I've got this synth emulation, and then you listen to it, and you start to realize it sounds exactly like the other synth emulation you've got. And maybe because the designer's just gone down into the core library and gone, oh, low-pass filter, let's put that in the chain. And they've looked at a picture of a Jupiter 8 or a whatever and gone, oh, yeah, it works like this. So, you know, it needs those components, but without maybe considering that those things sound completely different. and Because I just bought a VCS3, and it doesn't really sound like a VCS3 at all. Oh, what, the iVCS3? Yeah. Ah, interestingly, we might be looking at that more closely. The the pegs work brilliantly. It works like a VCS3, but it doesn't sound like one. But in terms of user interface, if I shake it or knock it, the 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 spring reverb makes that... Oh, does it? That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, so over there. <laughs> that's great. So, that's great. Great. Good. Rich, uh, fun, funnily enough, I saw there was a, uh, a thing that in the UK, Joanna Lumley, who's a sort of uh, actress of a certain age, kind of national treasure, has been talking to unusual people. And one of the people that she talked to that I saw a trailer for was Will I Am. And there was a shot of him in his studio with basically what looked like three raven, uh, slate ravens in front of him. And I, was thinking, I mean, it looked absolutely cool as you like, but. You know, I'm wondering whether or not uh, is that something you could see yourself operating in, or, or having someone doing your bidding for? I mean, can you, you do you think? I mean, we've talked about the endless kind of debate whether touchscreen is going to work for everything, but they they the thing I like about the look of those is you can just blow up the plug-in screen to a massive size, so you can really see very very detailed what's going on and and tweak it. Maybe. What do you think? No. No. <laughs> I mean, I would I tr- I'll try it someday, but does the prospect of mixing on a coffee table appeal to me? No. Mm. I don't care how big their plug-in screens are. Now, I have seen some very nice workflow things in their, in their software layer that sort of seems to ride over the top of your DAW mixer. I've seen some really, really cool workflow ideas in there. 
And so I guess I could be convinced under certain conditions, but just as a proposition, it doesn't particularly appeal to me. Mm. Um, yes, there's been a lot of chat in the chat room about um, smudged screens, and that's true. Maybe they'll invent some sort of glass that doesn't smudge or some sort of hands that don't <laughs> release anything that smudges glass. Um, okay, well, I think that's probably a good time to... Uh, to, to call it a day. I've run out of topics. It's been a very slow news week. Uh, those of you who are regular listeners may well have noticed, and I'm afraid uh, uh, sometimes the topics are just... Um, we can only do what's put in front of us, and uh, being responsible for that, I can only apologise if you found any of them uh, less interesting than usual. But uh, I've enjoyed myself nonetheless, and I want to thank my guests also for joining us. I want to thank... We'll go to Mark Tinley, who's there in his... Uh, what would you call that? That's kind of like custard, but that I can't get over how absolutely bang on that colour is. So thank you very much, Mark, for flying the flag for us. <laughs> I can't. Uh, yeah. Okay. You're very welcome. I have no further comments. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to your mastering via your USB cassette for your next uh, your, your next topic. Some point somewhere on the line. Oh God, I don't know if it records actually. Oh, is it only I mean, playback? I think, well, it's for transferring cassettes to the ah, computer. I thought, I thought, this is a really good idea. And then I plugged it into my computer and I thought, oh, it doesn't sound brilliant, but I'm only transferring audio books. And then when you it, what? Turns, it, it gets to, sorry? Allegedly. No, I paid for the audio books and <laughs> I want to be able to listen to them in the computer without having to get a cassette converter out every time I want to do that. So, yes, I'm transferring my own audio books to my own computer. And no, I'm not going to give them to anybody. Um, but <laughs> what I noticed is that when you put anything meaningful in it, maybe music, if you like, when it gets to the end of the cassette, it's got like an AB thing and it starts playing back the other way and it just sounds completely different. Uh, to the two, so uh, I can only play cassettes in one direction and I can't remember which direction it is and you have to fiddle around with it and, you know, and mm. it's, I think it's got like a sound blaster uh, quality right. um, audio capture built into it and it only plays at 48 kilohertz and it does. So perhaps not then. Oh well, loves it. Lo- loves picking up mobile phone signals as well. So if you get your phone near, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, Mark, thank you very much for joining us. It's good to have you aboard, and uh, all the best to you and yours. And uh, we hope to see you again soon. Uh, very well. We'll also go uh, Rich Hilton, who's as as my uh, fantasy denotes, is waiting. Uh, his limo is waiting in the uh, in the driveway to whisk him off to the hit factory, where he'll be making. Waxing hot ones all afternoon and uh, putting down some uh, some top beats and tunes, no doubt. Thank you very much for joining us, Rich. Thanks for having me. It's always great. And, of course, Gaz Williams there in Bristol, who we'll hopefully be seeing tomorrow morning as well at some point with his bass. Yeah. You don't have I to just, bring uh, your bass. Oh, You can if you like. <laughs> um, I've just... I've been... This is... I'm working on these patch designs for the Sonus volume at the moment and some of these patches are quite nice because like this can you hear how the lfo is coming in on a delay oh yeah yeah it's got like a faded yeah i got you so you can do these lovely timed uh you know delayed lfos you can you can 
shape you can create your own shapes for some of the LFOs well adjustable trapezoid LFOs so you can have you can get the really interesting shapes but I think having the, the delay and just it coming in and it sounds really it's really nice it's, it's a really pleasing Are you thing to do the speed of the delay from the LFO uh, no, the speed is fixed. Well, no, I can I can change the speed with the foot pedal. So oh, try uh, speeding the delay up and like speeding it up and slowing it down with the LFO because that's always nice. If it does the no, so, can't, no? can't do that. Can't do oh. No, that's a shame. That's a good idea though. <laughs> uh, it's just uh, it always um, sounds really good. Yes, yeah, it's, it's just really nice uh, because. It's just as the chord is sort of Tailing fading off, yeah. off, it just starts to... It's quite a subtle tremolo kind of idea, isn't it? Yeah. It is a subtle... It's a, This pedal, it's a lovely pedal, but a lot of its kind of best features are very subtle. So it's kind of a... It's going to be a, I think it's going to be a difficult sale for, for the company, really, when it comes out. Because uh, it's... Um, well, if you, you know. get really high audio rate stuff, you could get that kind of custard and cream uh, pedal kind of stuff too. So, oh. I took the BPM. That. I'll put the BPM. I'll max out the BPM and see what it sounds like. Uh, let's just have a look here. Hang on. Yeah, it needs to be faster than that and deeper than that to get that kind of effect, I think. Oh, faster still! That's, <laughs> faster, I think faster. That's, the that's the maximum speed it'll go. Well, I seem to remember in the um, in the Wahoo that there was uh, a multiplier for the LFOs as well. But anyway, we we oh, can there is. we there can is. <sighs> check that out for a memory. I don't know how that where that came from, but I thought there was. Yeah. But anyway, guys, I wish you the best of fun um, editing yeah. away there. Oh, that's, that's off the scale now. It's so fast. Ah, Hang on this. It's off the scale, man. <laughs> ah, well, there you go. Then you can get into... Because oh, what you do is if you, if you change the depth of the amplitude modulation at very high frequency, you get that kind of sort of yo yeah. you know, interesting sound. So anyway, there's... Mm. Make it sound like a Casio. <laughs> yeah, all that sort of thing. Ah. Well, first... Thank you. You've just, given me, you've just given me a new patch design that I'm going to do. <laughs> all right, brilliant. Well, I'm glad to hear. Anyway, thank you very much, everybody. Uh, I think I'm going to play out with a little bit of um, ambient uh, dronage from my... Um, just because I've, I've got the ability to do that. So I want to say thank you very much. And also thank you, everybody in the chat room. Uh, I think there were no problems this week. And if you've joined us via the front page, um, that's going to be uh, an ongoing thing. So I'm just going to switch off the front page. Uh, what happens is while the... Um, the, the podcast is on, and while I've got it set to be so, uh, it loads the podcast onto the front page of the site. So I'm just going to switch that off now. So um, there we go. And anyway, I will see you all later. Thank you very much. In fact, you might be able to... Join me, Gaz, in a sort of okay. bass kind of way. So we'll see you all later. I'll switch to my shot of my setup. Oh, I thought that was I thought that was actually the uh, Gaz's tremolo there <laughs> Rich <laughs> Oh I 
Awesome. <laughs> there was uh, Rich Hilton on snores, uh, Gaz Williams on bass, and myself on droning on and on and on and on. Thanks, everybody, for watching um, and staying in there. So, uh, yeah, I'll just fade out the audio there. Yeah, just need a massive jungle break to kick in now, and uh, that would be you, Mark. <laughs>